Welcome to the Coworkers Podcast with Jesse and Shaney, where every believer is a coworker in God's mission. Hi, how are you doing today? Good. Are you talking to me or to our fans out there, <laughs> our listeners? To you. You're talking to me. I want to thank you for oh. taking me on an anniversary getaway. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a month late. That's pretty good for us. Giving me a wonderful Mother's Day. You are welcome. Thank you for publicly acknowledging that. It was a nice weekend. Yeah, it was, I think for me, exceptionally well done. I'm not the greatest at that. So you did. You're welcome. It was extra special. And good job, me. Well, we're going to talk about a really important topic today. Yes, it is a serious one. So I do feel uh, just praying God will help us. Yeah. We were hoping to start with this one, a series of episodes on really important topics particularly as it pertains to missions, but this is really true for any follower of Jesus. And we are calling it, Are You Convinced That Jesus Is The Only Way To God? Right. Starting a series, an Are You Convinced series. Mm. So we'll be today talking about, is Mm. Jesus the only way to heaven? And are you convinced that hell is a real place? Mm -hmm. Are you convinced that the Bible is God's true inerrant word? And are you convinced that... There is a missionary task, a missionary pattern we find in the Bible that is missions. That's right. So as you can tell, even from how we frame those things, these are foundational questions for all believers, really. And I think they're particularly pointed for people who are sent out or for people who are sending people out to the nations that are involved in that conversation, because it really forms the the rational backbone of what we do and why we come out here. And what we found is that it's just so important that these not just be some things that we kind of assent to or agree to, but that we are convinced of, that these are things that are compelling us from the inside, not just because of something we've heard from somebody else or read in a book or in a sermon, but these are actually from the inside, the Spirit doing that work in us through His Word to convince us of these truths. Yeah, I think if you're not convinced of it, then when you come overseas and you're surrounded by lostness and the pressures Mm. of mission work, you can realize you weren't convinced and maybe you didn't even realize it before. So in missionaries on the field for years and years, again, living under all that pressure, we need reminded and refreshed and encouraged in these truths because Satan is screaming at us and trying to cause us to doubt and being surrounded by such vast lostness can wear us down. Yep. There's many stories in missions history of, People who've come out, you know, obviously they don't get the missionary biographies written about them, but they come out, they're encountered with lostness, they're kind of seeped in it, and the enemy uses that as a foothold in their heart to loosen their grip on some of these core convictions, and in some cases, ultimately on their faith. And so that's something that we have found. We even kind of toyed with the idea of calling this series, Don't Become a Missionary If You Don't Believe These Things, or You're Not Convinced of These Things. Which... We didn't call it that because we didn't want it to sound unloving or harsh, but honestly, you shouldn't because there's too much at stake. The work is too important, and it wouldn't even be healthy (laughs) for the person to be trying to do this work without these things sorted out in their hearts. And we've also seen just so much more of this deconstructionism going on in America and almost like a popular cool thing. Mm And so I think that's really concerning. Yeah. And we need to be helping the younger generation to know and believe the truth 
because they're surrounded by more and more an anti-Christian culture. Yeah. And I think even not even to the extent of deconstruction happening, but all the various shades kind of along the way of people loosening or questioning, or maybe even I would say begrudgingly accepting some of these truths. Yeah. It's almost like, I'd rather not believe this, but I kind of have to because I think the Bible teaches it pretty clearly. Our goal in these is for us to not just begrudgingly say, oh, this is, I have to believe in this, but to really accept it for what it is. It's God's truth and to find, to be able to see it the way I think that God wants us to see it, to somehow in the midst of it, recognize God's sovereignty and his goodness and the plainness of this teaching and for us to be convinced by it and for that to compel us to want to obey and to do things and live a life that's worthy of these truths by his power. So to that, the first issue we're going to deal with, is Christ really the only way of salvation? This is such an incredibly important question. I can honestly say for myself, answering this question changed the course of my life. Yeah. Has there ever been a time for you when you questioned that, when that was something that was... Not like you have, which you can share about your time in college, but... Thankfully, most of my high school and college years, I think I had a pretty childlike faith. Uh, but there have been moments where I have thought, oh, no, what if we got all this wrong? But they have always just driven me to really sort through and actually even look at other religions. And it's only made me much more sure that Jesus Christ is the only option for me. Yeah. Yeah, for me, like you said, it was a much deeper, I think, questioning. Uh, particularly, it really came to a point in college for me where it was an intellectual struggle. Um, I was the classic story of a small town kid confronting like big world ideas and people when I went to college, especially after my one year in engineering and I shifted to philosophy and religion and actually began to study those different religions. And not only that, but just history, eyes and my mind being opened up to new kind of vistas of reality. And so the question was, is the Jesus that I learned about in my small town church growing up, is he really the answer to all these big things that I'm learning about? Is he really the answer for the whole entire world? And just to struggle through as well in our culture and particularly on a college campus, how uh, demeaning and how unwelcome that kind of thought is, that that type of exclusivity. It goes against really everything in our modern culture that I think is even highlighted uh, even more in like that college experience. And because it does seem just on the face of it, if you're looking at it from that perspective, colossally arrogant to say, oh, well, actually the faith that I was basically born into in this small town, that's actually the answer for just everybody. Happens to be the just one happens to be the one. only right one in the whole world. <clears throat> and all the millions of people around the world who disagree are not only yeah. wrong, but eternally wrong. Right. It seems very convenient. It's hard. I think a lot of us face that for the first time in college. That's right. And so there were little glimpses of that along the way, um, even as I was growing up. I read at one point when I was a teenager, the autobiography of Malcolm X, and it shook me to see somebody who was very earnest about a faith that was very different from mine. And so just struggling with that very basic idea of, man, doesn't kind of the strength or the what appeared to be sort of the purity of their faith in this other, following this other thing, isn't that a big objection towards yeah. there just being one right answer? And so in college, that probing kind of continued. I would say that I had a, a very vibrant faith at that times, but was sometimes shaken by these types of questions, particularly as I experienced and encountered people from other religions that were very sure of their faith. And But now here I am, many years later, not only a staunch believer in Jesus, but we've actually given our lives 
to telling other people that Jesus is the only way and doing that in the midst of a place where the majority of the people around us find that spectacularly offensive Mm -hmm. uh, to what they believe. And so I share all that just to give you a glimpse of how important this has been for me personally, but far beyond just myself, I think this is an experience that maybe a lot of people have with similar backgrounds to us. I think in some ways it's a question that all Christians have to struggle through. And for us, it's definitely become um, more, it's more in our face when you move to the nations and you're out of that familiar surrounding, you're out of that community of people who believe like you do, and you're plopped down in the middle of millions millions of people who believe absolutely opposite of us. When our daughter Joya was four and five years old, she was questioning if we could trust the Bible because all her classmates in her school were either Hindu or Muslim, Mm -hmm. all her friends. And just how that that was difficult for her. And we worked through it, but it is a question that is understandable for people to have to work through. That's right. And I would say, again, even highlighted when you come out to the field, in many ways, this is one of the most crucial, absolutely foundational questions for missions, finding the answer to it and be convinced of the answer. Because True biblical missions hangs on the answer. Uh, If there is another way, if there is another way, then what we are doing is really superfluous. It's pointless at best and really destructive at worst. I mean, when I think about someone who does not agree that Jesus is the only way, they should kind of despise what we do, not like what we do, or at least not have a lot of respect for it. That's right. Our work is almost silly. That's right. If it's not, if Jesus is not essential for salvation. And you could even say what we're doing is unkind or destructive destructive because we're asking people to make great sacrifice to believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're not, it's up to them. God does it. But people are stepping into persecution and a lot of difficulty. And if there is another way. I mean, then let's, let's face it, babe, let's we've, we've wasted fun. our lives. I know. It's a total exactly. waste, right? Yeah. Hardships that we've endured, right. things that we've given up, time with family in the States. Yeah. Uh, it's a waste. Like Paul said, to paraphrase in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are of all people most to be pitied. And Paul knew that better than anybody because of the sufferings that he had endured for the sake of the gospel. Not that ours are anywhere close to that. But just to say, if it's not true, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for right. tomorrow we die. Right? So... It is true, and it is super important that we be convinced of that. And I think that really when it comes down to it on this issue, the Bible is very plain. We say that questions like these are hard questions. It's not because the answer is hard to figure out. It's actually, I think, because the answer is so simple. It's hard to swallow. And clear, that's right, in the scriptures. And it's so hard for us in our culture, and even I would say like in our flesh, to accept the simple truth that Jesus Christ is truly the only way to God. Okay, just two very clear passages from scriptures that we'll start with. John 14, 6, very familiar. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, I don't know how much more simple and clear it could be than Jesus' own words there. And then the words of the apostles in Acts 4, 12, publicly saying, there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It just couldn't be clearer. Yeah, I think these two verses are really good to highlight because one is Jesus saying it, and he's saying that to people who don't like that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he's facing persecution for it. 
I mean, that's why he got killed was because he was saying he was God. Mm. And the same with this verse with the apostles. That's the apostles. That's what they understood to be true from living with Jesus, hearing his preaching. Again, they're saying this in the face of persecution, being thrown in jail, and later much worse things, being killed. And they're still saying, they're going out of their way to, to not just say, believe in Jesus, he's wonderful, but to say, there is salvation in no other name under heaven. So that's what Jesus preached. That's what the apostles understood and what they preached. So yeah. we can count on that. Yeah, no doubt. And it's also not as if the entire argument is just on short verses like this from the New Testament. It's really the entire story of the Bible. You can only conclude one thing, is that the creator God of the Bible is the only Savior, and the provision for that salvation is His Son, Jesus Christ, that He's provided for everyone in the world to believe in. The idea that there could be another way to be right before God is totally foreign to the entire story of Scripture. Right. It just doesn't yeah. fit anywhere. There's no room for it. The Old Testament over and over again talks about, I mean, if you would say the number one sin that's highlighted and punished in the Old Testament is idolatry. Yeah. Over and over again, it's because of God's people turning away from following him and following someone else, acknowledging someone or something else as God over him. And so that is the backbone of the Old Testament, the stories of God's judgment and then his rescue and his mercy towards his people, it always hinges on their propensity towards idolatry. Worship of other gods of any kind is condemned across the board. Places like Psalm 115, when the psalmist compares those who worship other gods, they're going to become like them. They have ears but don't hear, mouths but don't speak. Um, and so that's, this wasn't just for God's people, the Israelites, right? Other peoples as well were judged. The Canaanites specifically were judged because they were worshiping other gods. Even as you follow it into the New Testament, it wasn't just like it was for the first followers of Jesus or just for those, it was the truth that was just for them, those that were with him. We hear in the testimony of the apostles, Peter and John there in Acts chapter four, but we also hear it later on in the ministry of Paul as he's preaching. You remember when he goes to Athens in Acts 17, it says, as he's preaching publicly there in Athens, it says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So he's saying all people everywhere now are called to repentance. And it's all centered on the fact that Jesus died for our sins and he was raised from the dead as well, that that is the pivotal action, that Jesus is the pivotal person in all of human history, that now all people everywhere are called to repent and believe in him. Then how would you talk about the common belief that other religions, they all are believing in God. It's just because of their cultural background, right. they have different names for God, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of similar truths right. to Christianity. Mm -hmm. They're all teaching us to be loving to each other. Mm -hmm. Why don't we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think that's a very common um, assumption. I think that people fall into that type of thinking that Really, all religions are pathways to God. We actually hear that a lot here it's also. the number one answer. The number one response that we get as we're talking to, to people. the gospel, yeah. First of all, just to start with the Bible, Romans 1, again, the, the clearest place that summarizes this. Once again, it's not, it's very plain according to the scriptures. Romans 1, beginning in verse 18, says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So, very briefly, this passage explains the existence of other types of worship and even how people got there to begin with. Because even though God's eternal power, His divine nature has been clearly perceived since the foundation of the world and the things that have been made, people turned away from that. It says, by their unrighteousness, they suppressed the truth. So it's not a matter of understanding. It's not a matter of rationale. It's not a matter of trying to work your way or reason your way to believing in God. It's our own wickedness and unrighteousness, the unrighteousness that is there because of sin that leads people to suppress the truth of who God is. And so they just continue following that path. When they suppress the initial truth, they don't honor him as God or give thanks to him. And so their hearts become darkened, it says. And then they begin the outward expression of that is exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images, basically for any other type of worship. Yeah. I think we all can relate to that. We all know we easily don't pursue God, Mm -hmm. and instead we pursue something else, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, anytime we're not worshiping God, our hearts are automatically going after something else. I was just reminded recently of John Calvin saying, our hearts are idol factories. That's what this verse is saying. Mm -hmm. So even though I've been following Jesus for years, I still can easily see that in my heart. That's right. And not only that, but it's tied to it's tied to our enemy as well, because he comes in and he exploits that darkness in our hearts and our tendency towards idolatry. He exploits, and I would even argue, helps craft and create these other idols and these other mm-hmm. forms of worship. I mean, Paul speaks to that fairly clearly in 1 Corinthians 10 as well. When he's talking about taking the Lord's Supper, he's talking about avoiding idolatry. He's saying that the cup that we take is a participation in Christ. And that idol worship is actually a participation with demons, Mm -hmm. that there is a spiritual reality that inhabits those other forms of worship. So it's both from our flesh, the sin and the wickedness in our flesh, and also the power of the enemy that's trying to draw and lure us away from the worship of the true God. So that's the, again, the plain, I think, scriptural teaching on A, Jesus is the only way, and B, where do the other types of worship come from in the world? A lot more to talk about there, but I think just keeping it very plain and simple from the scriptures is important for us to start with. But there's also just some normal, not normal, but reasoning reasoning that we could use to apply to this. One of the things that stood out to me as I was studying different religions and taking classes on those things, and even as we've been here, you really have to deal with the just plain rational issue of how can all of these competing truth claims be the be true at the same time? Right. Right? They're so different. How can we have integrity in our hearts saying that these are all the same? All the same. And the same enough to bank <clears throat> our lives on that. Yeah, exactly. It's really silly when you think about the fact that both me claiming that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, meaning God himself, And then a Muslim saying that there's no way that Jesus could be God, that those could in any way overlap, Mm -hmm. and those could both be paths to the one true salvation, the one true spiritual truth. Because that's the analogies like that are what we hear oftentimes here when we're sharing the gospel. 
people will say, oh, there's many paths leading up the mountain, but it's all going to the same place at the top, the summit. Mm-hmm. Or the story about the blind, ma- the blind man in the dark that are feeling different parts of an elephant. And they're saying, oh, well, they, one feels the leg. He says, oh, it's a tree. And one feels the tail and says, oh, it's a whatever, a snake, or I guess that's the snout, whatever it is. But all these different points, they're interpreting it in their own way. And yet they don't grasp the whole of what it actually is. Now, the obvious problem with any kind of analogy like that is that it assumes the outside perspective, right? There has to be somebody, basically the the person telling the story who assumes a privileged place of perspective to be able to look and to see, oh, well, it's actually a mountain and they all the roads are going to the top or, oh, I can see in the dark and I see that it's actually an elephant. The problem is in reality, nobody has that perspective. In reality, according to the, even to the analogy itself, we're all people that are, who who are just on the road or who are in the dark groping around. There's no privileged perspective in reality, unless somebody comes from outside and reveals and shines a light in the dark room or speaks from the top of the mountain down to the people who are walking on the paths and say, this is the way I am here. Come up. Otherwise, we're all just sharing our own different thoughts and experiences. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. And so it was. For me, it was plain. If you look at all the religions of the world, it really can only be the case that they're all false or one of them is true. Yeah. Right? They or can't I all guess be true. Maybe that God is unknowable. That too. That's yeah. where like people just give up. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's actually pretty common here that mm. it's not worth stressing over, mm-hmm. like trying to decide. There's millions of Hindu gods. Yep. Then, okay, here you people come, you're adding Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Muslims. And it's like, I think many people are basically saying, how could we ever be sure? Right. So let's just say they're all good because yep. you're all just trying your best from your heart. Yeah, you know? that's good. And so I think it is important that we have an anchor that gives us assurance. In addition to, I think, the legitimate faith we have in our hearts that's put there by the Holy Spirit, there's an anchor for us that there is proof that somebody did speak in from the outside. There's a voice that has come from the outside. And that's Jesus Christ and his voice. And the anchor of proof that we have is his resurrection from the dead. You remember I quoted the the speech of Paul from Acts 17. That's exactly the proof, the evidence that he offers to his listeners. Because he wraps up his argument by saying, of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is the assurance we have. The resurrection of Jesus is the assurance that all the things that Christ said and did and all that God says in relation to that are now undeniable. And it's for everybody. He gave this assurance to all people. And so that for us, it's not the only thing. The resurrection is not the only thing that is our source of assurance, but it is an anchor for us. It's huge. It's absolutely unique. And there are so many good books that um, Lee Strobel, Mm -hmm. The The Case Case for for Christ, Christ, Man, when you start reading the statistics and how historical our faith is and how trustworthy our scriptures are, it is truly based on historical facts. Yeah, that's right. And that's that anchor, that truly unique historical event. There's no like blind faith, Mm -hmm. actually. Yeah. (laughs) Because we have good good reasons to believe this. Yeah, there is that kind of that old cultural trope of taking a blind step of faith, like in the absence of good reasons, I'm just going to put my faith and step yeah, out. Yeah, it's not like that. It's not like that at all. We have a lot of, there's lots of good reasons for us to believe what we do, but we're not ultimately convinced even by those reasons. We're convinced when the Spirit comes inside of us and makes us new and allows us to see with eyes of faith. 
But at the same time, that doesn't mean that what we're following is irrational. There's yeah. good reasons to believe and for anybody to believe. He's given assurance to all people by raising Jesus from the dead. I think that's really essential to remember in this conversation because we forget that the Holy Spirit has totally changed how we see everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I compare the truths of different religions or the gods of different religions or the paths of salvation, I can get really like oh, so confident mm -hmm. and so like, why can't you all see this? Yeah. Jesus Christ is really the only one who even promises assurance of salvation. He's the only one who was sinless. Yep. He's the only one who we have historical evidence of raising, rising from the dead and who even says, like, I will bring you to heaven. That's right. And so to me, it feels like, oh, you should just be able to reason it out. Mm -hmm. But that's because the Holy Spirit changed me. That's right. So we can't be prideful yeah. on that. And to recognize as well that we do, I think it's objectively true that we have good reasons to believe in Jesus, that he did rise from the dead and all these other things. But And so to recognize that it's not just, again, a, a matter of our reason, of our intellect. That's not the main issue. The main issue is people's sin. It's what's in our hearts. It's that our hearts are dead because of our trespasses and sins, and we can't even see good reason yeah. outside of the Holy Spirit coming in and changing us from the inside. Yeah. And so if Jesus is the only way to salvation, it's not enough just that that is true, but in order for people to encounter that salvation, they actually have to hear it, right? That's the plain logic, again, of Romans chapter 10. It says that, you know, faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ, but how are they to believe if they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Just to recognize the very clear logic of that passage, Paul is saying again and assuring assuring us that this message about Jesus Christ of his death and his resurrection and life in him and repentance and faith, it has to be announced. It has to be proclaimed and people have to put their faith specifically in that Jesus in order to experience salvation. And so those, all those things, all those pieces just fit together. If Jesus is the only way, then that means that all the other religions they are not paths to salvation. And if Jesus is the only way, then only the announcement of what he has done and who he is to other people is the pathway for people to experience salvation. There's no anonymous Christianity. There's no other pathways. There's no option for, you know, that famous scene in the last battle in the C.S. Lewis books in the Chronicles of Narnia, where at the end, there's kind of a judgment type scene. And one of the, the warriors from the opposing country he comes in, he's actually accepted by Aslan, who's the stand-in for God in the story, by Aslan saying to him, well, all the good things that you did that you thought you were doing for Tosh, who is the false god that they were serving, you were actually doing for me. Yeah. You That's know, what, there's no room for that. That's well, just not, and it's what we all wish were true. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least sometimes in our right. hearts, whether we should or not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I do think there's a good discomfort and sadness in our hearts when we face that truth, mm -hmm. that people who don't hear about Jesus don't experience salvation. Yeah. It's very difficult. And we can't ever understand, well, why was I born into a situation where I got to hear? Mm -hmm. Because we know we're no better than anyone else. We're no more valuable. Yep. And so we have to be honest about how difficult that is mm -hmm. and face it and 
honestly, where I have found comfort is just remembering I'm not God. Mm -hmm. And this is one of many things I don't understand. And I'm going to entrust to God. That's right. Yeah. It's the old question. And this was around, this was in the background of a lot of my own questioning, my own journey when I was in college also was that question. No, you've all heard it before, but what about the people who have never heard? What about, you know, they've been referred to as like the innocent savage or whatever, living in this jungle, been living the same way for generations and generations, have never had a chance to hear the gospel. What about them? How could it possibly be just for God to condemn innocent people like that who've never heard? And I think that I've heard David Platt, among others, put it this way, and I think it's the right response, that it would be unjust for God to condemn innocent people who've never heard about Jesus. The truth is, though, there's no such thing as an innocent person. If we go back and we read Romans 1, as as hard as this truth may be, Romans 1 basically is saying to us that people have no excuse because what could be known about God was made plain, but they suppress the truth about God actively by their unrighteousness. And that is the truth that all of us are born into. Even if we're born in a, a Christian country, so-called, that we're born into our own unrighteousness and we too have to be born again. We have to respond in faith to the good news of the gospel. And so the answer to the question then is, go tell them. Yeah. If that question bothers you, and honestly, I'll say this was part of, again, why I am where I am, why I've given my life to this, is because if you're faced with that reality, and if you accept the truth, that weighty truth that the Bible is pointing to, that, yeah, unless somebody goes and tells them, they don't have any hope. The only answer as followers of Jesus that we can give is go tell them. Somebody has to go. Yeah. And I think remembering the other truths of the Bible, that God is not willing for anyone to perish. Mm -hmm. He doesn't delight in anyone not knowing him. He wants everyone to know him. And he is saving people. It's a narrow truth in terms of Jesus is the only way, but it's open to everyone, That's right. anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, <clears throat> even someone on their deathbed. Yep. Like you could live a terrible life and you believe in Jesus in your last five minutes and yep. he's going to accept you. Yep. I've heard J.D. Greer call it the most inclusive, exclusive belief in the ent- entire world. Because we don't, as we're saying, Jesus Christ is the only way, we're saying at the same time that by the free offer of his grace, anyone can be saved. That there's no cultural adaptation. There's no rules you have to follow. There's no pilgrimage that you have to make. What you have to do is believe in Jesus's provision for you that he has already made available by his blood. And so we have this free offer that we're able to give, and it's for everybody in the entire world. It actually encompasses, it truly does, the offer encompasses encompasses all peoples of all the world. I think, I think it's maybe true. Um, I haven't I can't say that with 100% certainty because I haven't read all of the texts, but just reading a text like Revelation 7, I don't know anywhere else in any other religious teaching is it made so explicit that God desires for every nation, tribe, people, and language to worship him. That's what the God of the Bible desires. That's what he was after from the beginning, was all of his creation filled with worshipers turning to him and glorifying his name. And so... If you look around at the other things that are on offer in the world, you know, a Hindu would say that Hinduism is open to everyone as well, but by and large, Hinduism is a cultural phenomenon. It's tied to the Indian subcontinent. 
and most of the followers of Hinduism or could trace their roots back there, right? Islam now can claim international representation, but it also demands adherence to a very culturally conditioned lifestyle. It even has a holy language where it's tied to, to a certain region of the world. Only the God of the Bible states explicitly, I want people from every nation, tribe, and people worshiping me. And so that's that inclusiveness that we get to proclaim right alongside when we say Jesus is the only way, we get to give the free offer of the gospel as well to say you can believe in him and be a part of what he desires of worshiping him. One of my favorite quotes on this topic is that Jesus Christ is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. I totally agree. Because of how he preached very plainly about who he was, being God, and the way to salvation, he's either lying, which makes him a very bad teacher, Mm. very bad person Person. who shouldn't follow him, or he's a lunatic out of his mind. Normally, if somebody tells you they are God, we think they're crazy, Mm. or he's Lord. Yeah. And I think that's also what is very sobering is that you can't be neutral on Jesus. Mm. And that's what we see a lot of people try to do, is try to add him in to what they're already believing. And you can't do that. He can't be one of many gods. That's right. If we're saying that, that actually makes him a liar. That's it. So I have no plan B. I think that's where I have come to. (laughs) And I remember when we first became missionaries, and I would hear people insinuate, like, you shouldn't go and like try to change people's culture or just let them be. And it was almost this glorified, glamorous picture of other people living these wonderful lives, believing false things. Yeah. Like Christians would all agree those are false beliefs, but it's almost like just let them be. And we've seen too much darkness mm. for me to believe that. People without Jesus are not living wonderful lives. Of course, they can have good things in their life, and but there's so much hopelessness and darkness, mm-hmm. and it is not unloving to tell them that there's only one God. It's the most loving thing because it's good news, and it will get them out of that. And I am no religious scholar, but what I have learned about other religions, either from reading their texts, or just seeing it practiced definitely shows me there's no options out there for me. None of those are going to fulfill what I need to bank my life on something. So going through this, again, just makes me extremely thankful that we we take for granted how clear and truthful the Bible is and what a gift it is to us. We take for granted that our God was sinless and that He told us clearly how He would save us. Just it's, thankful and, s- and again, sober, sobering. It is sobering. The scriptural teaching is plain. I think also what we shrink from sometimes are the implications for our life. That if it is true that Jesus is the only way and people have to hear about him in order to be saved, then that is going to wreck our lives if our lives are not about that. Yeah. It's going to call for something from us to either be going or to be sending or to be praying, and at the very least, to be reaching out to the people around us and declaring that good gospel truth to them as well. And so that's what I hope we can just grasp and be encouraged by, to know that 
Yes, it will change our lives, but the same God who saved us is going to give us the power that we need to be able to do something about this. To do our part. That's right. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And so I don't want listeners to come away from this with this unbearable (laughs) burden Mm. of just like, oh my goodness, how am I going to fix the millions of people who don't know Jesus? Because I've had seasons where I've done that too much. And God gives us our part. And he is the Lord of the harvest. And so we can trust him. We can trust how he's working around the world. And we can trust him to show us how he wants to use Mm -hmm. us. And we can trust him to stretch us a lot (laughs) and to have to die to self and to have to be bold. Mm -hmm. But I'm just really thankful that he is the Lord of the harvest. And we can trust him with the eternity and of the world around us and the people, right? As Paul laying out all these really hard truths, again, I think plain truths, but hard to really digest and to come to terms with, Romans 9, 10, and 11, talking about election and talking about God's people, even beginning there in Romans 9 about how he says he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart that people would know, that his own people, talking about the Jews specifically there, his own people would know and be saved. But then to close all of that out with this assurance in Romans eleven thirty three, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. I'm able to ultimately have peace with this question and with these issues because I know God, because I trust him, because I understand how he is, that he is inclined to mercy and that he's good and that he won't do anything wrong. Yeah. And that that is our, that is our bedrock. That is our foundation, that God is good and he will do good. And that, yes, we say that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. And we also get to say there is nobody like him. There's nobody like him in his mercy, in his grace, in his compassion towards us, in the level of sacrifice that he made to purchase us. And what we get in him now, our fellowship with him, there's nobody like him. And so that's what we say. And we are unashamed and we are convinced to say those things as well. There is no rival. <laughs> <laughs> please, please go on. Amen. Yeah. We hope that this is encouraging to you, friends. Uh, this has been even encouraging to us to kind of go back through these things again and clarify them and say them out loud. Uh, but he's enough and he's the way. And we can rejoice in that. So are you convinced that mm. Jesus is the only way to salvation? And keep listening. Next week, we will have another Are You Convinced topic. Thanks, friends.